Hey guys, this is Jeff Wu here with the Health Via Modern Nutrition HVMN podcast. And today we're doing Free Fatty Friday number nine. And today's episode is a deep meditation reflection on a deep, ancient, profound proverb. And this proverb is play stupid game, win stupid prize. Now, you might think that this is just an internet meme or an internet joke, but I actually find a lot of profundity and depth in this statement. So while it might sound like a joke, I actually take deep inspiration and deep value from this very kind of jokey, hokey statement of playing stupid games, win stupid prize. So for this Free Fatty Friday, I wanna break down this statement, this axiom, in three different perspectives or three different disciplines. I'm gonna look at the statement of play stupid game, win stupid prize from a neurochemistry perspective and talk about the neurochemical implications of this statement. I'm gonna look at the statement from two, a game theoretic sense, so talking about game theory. And then lastly, I'm gonna discuss play stupid game, win stupid prize from a life aesthetic, life philosophical sense. So after this conversation, hopefully you'll find depth and profundity in play stupid game, win stupid prize, just as I have, and hopefully this makes you avoid stupid games and win great prizes in your life. Hey guys, this is Jeff Wu interrupting my podcast for a special offer, a special announcement for you. As you might know, HVMN just launched the new Keto Food Bar and they're yummy, they're delicious, and I wanna make a special personal offer for you to give you a discount to get those into your hands. So for a limited time only, use the discount code Jeff10. That's G-E-O-F-F number one, number zero. Jeff10 for a 10% discount on the Keto Food Bar on HVMN.com. We got Mexican hot chocolate, one of my personal favorites. We got vanilla shortbread. We got chocolate chunk. And of course, we got the everything bagel, which is legit savory, garlicky, oniony. And these have become staples in my own personal life. I like to eat this with a cup of coffee for breakfast. I've been using the Mexican hot chocolate, the vanilla as grab and go bars when I'm biking, when I'm out on the town, when it's not easy for me to eat healthy, eat keto. So these are certified organic. They actually are yummy. They aren't these weird synthetic artificial tasting bars you might see that are keto compliant but have a bunch of fake IMOs and things that actually spike glycemic response. And of course, while they're also certified organic and they actually taste good, these have been tested on continuous glucose monitors. So they actually have flat glycemic response on your blood sugar. So essentially it's a, a fasting mimetic, but we're still delivering almost 300 calories of healthy fat, 12 grams of healthy protein and grass-fed collagen. These are legit. I'm so excited for you to try them and use my personal discount code, Jeff10, to get a special 10% discount. So check it out and enjoy and back the program. So let's get into this. So let's talk about this from a neurochemistry basis. So you might have heard of the term or the phrase, practice makes perfect. This is really a reflection of the deep neurochemistry of what is actually happening in your brains, actually happening in your neurons when you're practicing. So 
when I am looking at a tennis ball bouncing towards me and I see the spin and I have a reaction towards drawing my racket backwards and then taking a swing and making sure I have top spin and I follow through. Or if I'm looking at a chess move and I have an automatic response of seeing the patterns there and what kind of pattern the opponent is attacking me with, I have my defense or my openings or my defensive openings automatically in play. Well, where does this all come from? These stimulus, this stimuli uh, triggers a reaction in our brain. And our brain builds up neuronal circuits or patterns or chains of neurons firing together in sequence to generate a response to said stimulus. So whether that's responding to a physical object coming towards me in a more sports setting or a physical world setting or intellectual challenge like a chess board or a business challenge, there is stimulus coming in and our brains, our brains process that signal and turn them into responses. Now, as we practice responding to the same set of stimuli over and over and over again, well, those sequences of neurons firing of that electrical pulse or that chemical pulse with neurotransmitters and that electrical pulse being passed down that chain towards a subsequent action, well, that chain reaction gets more and more efficient over time. In fact, there are some patterns that are so deeply embedded that there's actually a process called myelinogenesis, which is the creation of myelin sheaths, actual physical structures that streamline and reduce the loss of signal of this sequencing of this transmission of information. So truly, when you're practicing the same response over and over and over again, you're literally baking the response into your brain structure. Literally, your brain structure changes and really deepens and drives this groove of a response. So how this applies to playing stupid games? Well, if you are playing stupid games over and over and over again, and as you master this stupidity, well, you're gonna be a master, you're gonna be great, and you're gonna have an automatic response of going down this path of playing a stupid game. And you're gonna be really great at winning stupid prizes. Another great example of this is actually looking at this from a medical perspective or a psychiatric problem perspective or a post-traumatic stress disorder perspective. So obviously that's a complex disease state, a traumatic damage that's still very hard to characterize. But a leading framework to think about this issue is that there was a stimulus, obviously very, very traumatic, and this stimulus triggered a very deep ingrained circuit, neuron circuit that's not conducive to everyday normal civilized society, right? For example, let's make this a little bit more concrete. You hear a loud bang, maybe you were downrange overseas in a bad part of the world, your, your friends got blown up. And now your brain, because it was so traumatic and so uh, searing, that anytime you hear a loud bang, you fire out that same neuronal circuit of, wow, I'm being under attack, I'm getting blown up, people around me are dying, body parts are flying around. And when people come back from overseas, they're in civilized society, a closing of a door, or a slamming of a door, or someone banged uh, a bike into a trash can. And that same stimulus that sounded like a bomb, actually triggers that same very negative pathway.
And that's obviously problematic. So obviously PTSD is not a stupid game, it's not a stupid prize. This is just a very unfortunate side effect, collateral damage of being in war. But I think you get the point, which is that there is a misfiring and a misresponse, a maladaptive response to a certain type of stimulus. So in that sense, when you're playing stupid games over and over again, you're building a bad automatic response that is being ingrained and programmed deep into your neurochemistry. And this is not something that you can just flip out and get away from. This is, a, I would say, at the order of addiction. This is an order of actually changing your neurochemistry. So to get out of it is very challenging. And that's why PTSD and some of these psychological problems are very hard to solve in the real world because these neurons firing in bad patterns are so deep. So in that sense, that's why from a play stupid games perspective, I've now become very, very thoughtful of the games I choose to play because if I choose and enter myself into stupid games, well, I'm going to literally reprogram my brain to get really good at the stupid game and ultimately win a stupid prize. And obviously, you and me, we're not interested in stupid prizes or stupid games. So that's why this statement, play stupid games, win stupid prize, is such an interesting thought experiment or framework from a neurochemical perspective. And let's talk about this now from a game theory perspective, right? There, know there's a biological underpinning of why I wanna avoid stupid games, but from a game theory perspective, one could say, hey, maybe it's easier to win a stupid game. Maybe because it's so stupid, less competent players are playing it, and even though the prize is kinda dumb, still better than winning no prize. However, my argument here is that even from a game theory perspective, even if it's a stupid game, the fact that it is quote unquote stupid means that there's a lot more potentially people or market for this game, a lot of players in this game. So even winning that stupid prize is actually arguably just as hard as playing a meaningful game. Now, let me explain this to you in a little bit more of a concrete way. I think a lot of people would say that being a TikToker is kind of a stupid game, but Again, I'm not gonna judge whether being on TikTok is worthwhile or stupid, but I would say that a lot of people would say, hey, this is not really interesting, it's not very intellectual, not very meaningful. But my argument here is that being the number one TikToker is probably just as hard as being the number one physicist and solving quantum gravity. Okay, maybe not solving, <laughs> solving quantum gravity, but it's just as hard as being like the number one physicist and just as hard as being a gold medalist in your favorite sport. Now, how do I mean? I mean that I think the number one TikToker is Charlie D'Amelio, this uh, 16, 17-year-old girl, 100 million plus followers on TikTok. For me to beat her is probably just as impossible <laughs> for you or for me than me becoming a better basketball player than LeBron James or me becoming the best physicist in the world in solving quantum gravity. It's Literally, I think just as hard, meaning that I have a very small probability to make up this much ground and catch someone in what is arguably a stupid game. So the point here, I think you can debate a little bit on the order of magnitude and you know, is there some objective like difficultiness of art versus science, mathematics and, and sport? But I think you get the underlying gist, which is that 
to be at the top of any field, regardless if it's a stupid field or a worthwhile field, is very, very hard uh, because the amount of people playing that game is fairly dynamic to the difficulty of the challenge. So even if you're playing a stupid game, it's probably really, really hard to master that stupid game to the point of being the best in the world at it. But just making this even just a little bit more tangible here, let's just talk about how hard it is to run a small business. I think I work pretty hard. I think I'm pretty smart. I think I work pretty hard. I run a successful business with healthy and modern nutrition, do a lot of great investments, work with a lot of smart people. I think I work pretty hard. But do I work harder than the bodega shop owner that's struggling through a pandemic that literally has government potentially shutting down their livelihood and they can't pay their mortgage, they can't pay their rent. I don't think that even if I'm in a much more financially secure and stable position that I'm way, you know, a million times smarter than or working a million times harder than the small business owner working a retail job. Arguably, I think the retail uh, shop owner probably works harder than me. I'm not necessarily on my feet for 18 hours a day, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. Like the stress level there must be incredibly hard. And my point here is not to say that this is a stupid game per se, but I'm just saying that the game selection is so important. I've chosen a game where I can compound relatively well and build financial security and wealth and assets that can generate income and value while I'm asleep. Whereas the selection of a game where you have to sell your time and trade that time for money makes it much harder to build wealth and financial security. So my point here is not to say any livelihood or job is stupid. It's to say that you have to be smart about selecting the game you play. So I don't wanna say that I'm better or worse than anyone. I'm just saying I want people to choose smarter games to play because those games, those, a smarter game might put you in a better situation where you can have stability and security and uh, health and wealth for you and your loved ones. So that's an interesting way to talk about playing stupid game, win stupid prizes. Again, I don't want to say that there's a, there's a hierarchy, a relative value or a judgment on types of jobs and ranking people by their jobs. I'm just saying that in terms of doing well for yourself, well, for myself, you need to be smart on the, on the game selection. And the last example I'll use here is that the scale of impact. When you're choosing a game to play, if you're teaching one person one at a time, you can make massive impact one at a time. But if you can reach 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people at a time. Am I working 1,000 times harder if I have 1,000 people listening to me right now? I can have this conversation with each of you one at a time, and that will take me 1,000 hours to accomplish, or I can have this conversation once and have this distributed 1,000 times. Of course, the one-on-one -on -one conversations will be a little bit deeper, you'll probably get 10, 20% more value in a one-on-one -on -one conversation versus a one-on-a-thousand conversation. But the leverage in terms of the game selection is so much higher. Uh, one to 1,000, and let's say we'll do a 20% discount on the end value, that's essentially 800 equivalent hours of work of leverage off of one hour versus a full 1,000 hours for 1,000 hours of leverage. I have almost an 800x leverage 
on time by having a little bit smarter selection of the game. So again, as I conclude number two, the game theoretic perspective here, the point here again is not to judge people's games that they play for their livelihood, but it's worth thinking about your day-to-day -day actions. How do you choose the right games to play so the end prize is worthy of all of your blood, sweat, and tears? And now this is a perfect segue to go into point three, which is taking a look at this notion of stupid games, winning stupid prizes from an aesthetic or a life philosophical perspective. And this is something that I've been thinking a lot more about in uh, over this past year, probably, just in terms of mortality, of resilience, of stoicism. I've had a recent podcasts with folks talking about this topic, and it's something that is always fun to share about because we can always become a little bit more resilient, a little bit more thoughtful about how to live a well-lived life. And my thought here is that our lives, our time is so short. We have a very finite existence on this planet, on this universe. And we only have just a limited set of games that we can even play. So if you are not happy playing the game you're playing right now, you're gonna end up winning a prize that you don't even care about. And from a cultural, social cultural perspective, my intuition, my sense here is that many of us are playing games that we didn't even really want to play. Meaning that we've sort of fell into the autopilot groove of getting a job or practicing a skill set or being in a situation that's kind of falling into place as we progress in life. For example, you go to high school, you kind of expected to go to college, you chose like a kind of a random major, you kind of needed a job to pay off the student loans and you kind of just, uh, went on with their life and it snap at some point you're hitting your midlife crisis you're like whoa how did all my time disappear or there's folks that had their parents or their friend group or their peer group say hey you gotta be a doctor you gotta be a lawyer these are prestigious jobs you gotta be an uh, investment banker do all these things and then you realize hey i don't even care about investment banking i don't care about taking you know i don't care about being a doctor i hate being a lawyer so the point here is oftentimes we are playing other people's notions of what is a good game or a prestigious game. I think one of the biggest fallacies and the biggest challenges of our lives is playing someone else's dream. It's choosing a path or a livelihood that other people deem as prestigious. I remember as a kid growing up, and a lot of people at Stanford, where I went to undergrad, wanted to be doctors. And for me, I, I think I had this self-awareness early on that I, I care about people, but I don't know if I want to get into the, in, into the fluids of people. I don't know if I want to actually physically, you know, diagnose uh, living, breathing, you know, snot-ridden, sick, bleeding human being. That's not my cup of tea. And I don't think that's a lot of the cup of tea for a lot of pre-med students at elite colleges. <laughs> like, I'm gonna be honest, I had a lot of pre-med Stanford kids who were just like, uh, I think this is prestigious, I think I can make a lot of money, make a million bucks a year being a surgeon, and uh, yeah, that sounds like I can make a lot of money here and, and be well-respected by my parents. And that's why they're doing this job. That's why they're doing this profession. 
And it's not because that they necessarily have a special interest of healing a human being. It's like, hey, people, society told me that this is prestigious and society told me that I can make a million dollars a year doing this. I'm gonna do this so I can make a good living. Maybe that's fine, but, and that's a fine choice. A million dollars a year is nothing to sneeze at. But for me personally, I don't wanna play a game that, uh, that, that's other people's dreams, right? We have one life to live. Why live someone else's dreams? Why live someone else's prestige ladder? I remember when I was a sophomore, second year in college, someone told me to reply to the Goldman Sachs internship. And what the hell is Goldman Sachs? Like, no one dreams to be an investment banker. I remember like, I, I, I think I had a good resume. <laughs> I you know, did well in school, so they wanted me to do a final round interview. And I remember just like, I didn't even know what the job was about and flubbed it. But I don't even regret that instance because that was not something that I actually cared about. And then now as I'm deeper into my business career, investment banking is almost on the lowest rung of finance where people are looking at a Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan or Morgan Stanley investment banking job as the, the, the most junior, menial, the worst level of finance. These are, not the, <laughs> these are not the financial titans, right? That's the private equity side of the world, the actual buy side where investment banks are on the sell side. They're really overpaid PowerPoint jockey and salespeople flipping other people's businesses. So I think that evolution of chasing my own dreams and following my own passion and following my own prestige has gotten me so much further than if I just got a Goldman Sachs job, became a little investment banking analyst, you know, work 80 hours a week and, you know, you know, try to climb up this corporate ladder, I would still be probably in a worse situation than I am right now where I have so much access and knowledge on so much varieties of the financial system and the financial powers that may be out there. So this is where the point comes full circle, which is that if you actually play a game that you find deeply meaningful, you're gonna actually have a chance to win a meaningful prize. And I think that's the ultimate attractive value in this world. I think there's so many, so few people that are actually creating their own value system, their own prestige system, creating value for the world, that if you even have some semblance or inkling of that, People look up to that. People want to follow you. People want to listen to you for being independent-minded and being brave and having a voice of your own. So the point here is that life is short. We can only play a few games in our lifetime. I wish we had infinite time so we could play all the games, but we can't have everything that we want. We can only play a few games. So play the games that you think are interesting, you think are worthwhile. You're like you can think that my games are stupid and that's great. You play your games that you think are valuable. I'm going to continue to evolve and keep updating the games I think are valuable and never give up, never just default into playing the game that your parents want you to play, that your uh, uncle wants you to play, that your rich friend wants you to play because I don't think that's ultimately satisfying. You, when you're at your deathbed, you're dying alone, right? 
yeah, you can have friends and family surrounding you, but it's your life that you have to reflect on. And when I am on my deathbed, I don't want to have a regret around, hey, I wish I played my own game. I wish that I didn't just live my life according to someone else's dream. And that's where that has made and made my spine so much more brave and solid and have high conviction that I need to play the games that I think are valuable. So don't play the stupid game because you're gonna win a stupid prize. Play a meaningful game so when you're at your deathbed, you can say, hey, I put up a good fight. This is, you know, I might not have gotten the ultimate worthy prize, but I had a blast trying to chase it. So this is Free Fatty Friday number nine. I hope you had learned a little bit about neurochemistry, a little bit about game theory, and a little bit about life philosophy or aesthetics of a life well lived through this statement, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Hope this was fun, hope this was entertaining. As always, I appreciate you sharing this to friends who might find this conversation useful. Of course, any five-star reviews, thumbs up, subscriptions, all that commentary to boost up the algorithm for this piece of content is much, much appreciated. I'm gonna go back to some Q&A soon, so write questions that you have for me. Very excited to engage. You can find me at Jeffrey Wu on Instagram and Twitter. That's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-W-O-O. You can send me questions there on either Instagram or Twitter, or you can email us at podcast at hvmn.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at hvmn.com. Stay strong, stay smart, stay resilient. Talk to you soon. Jeff out.